Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T Podcast number 956. This episode brought to you by Squarespace. Hey, man, make your idea into a website, why don't you? Oh, I got so many ideas knocking around the old noggin of mine. It would be great to get them on some kind of uh, site of some sort. I thought you were from Hawaii. Oh, no, but I'm uh, with my size and skin tone, I'm a truly a Midwest guy. <laughs> <laughs> Squarespace is going to, whatever website you want to make, whatever thing you want to build online. Sausages in my favorite pants. Beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Powerful e-commerce to sell your sausage pants. Uh, anything that you need to look and customize and set everything up beautifully, Squarespace is going to do. It's all optimized for mobile right out of the box, too. New way to buy domains, choose from over 200 extensions, and then analytics are going to help you grow in real time. Uh, free and secure hosting, built-in SEO, nothing to patch or upgrade, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. Make it stand out with a beautiful website. Check out squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um, and remember, check out looks like maybe rain today, huh? Dot com. <laughs> I wonder if that's a thing. Now I got to find out if that's a website. <laughs> looks like maybe rain today, huh? I have a feeling that's probably available. Uh, looks, Jonah, it's available. Ah, uh, that's just great news there. <laughs> okay, I don't know who this character is, but he's he needs to go uh, eat some panacokin or something. Um, Katie, what do we have on the old uh, ID10T community corkboard? This person wrote in saying, I have an event called SharkCon where ocean needs unite. We have speakers from Discovery Channel, Shark Week, Animal Planet, National Geographic talking about their adventures with sharks. We also have uh, the cast of your favorite shark movies. This year, we welcome Richard Dreyfus and other members of Holy the cast shit. of Jaws oh. for a Jaws panel with shark exhibits and activities, ocean-themed vendors, water sports, clinics. We have something for everyone. Shark Con. <laughs> <laughs> you oaf! <laughs> Oh, they're too tiny. <laughs> Chris, I'm assuming your floors are really clean. They're clean, Jonah. Okay. Um, Jonah was just trying. You know what? You should just leave this in. Jonah was trying to pull a tiny Altoid out of one of those tiny Altoid tins, and he's so his, his hands are just so big that he just couldn't grab. He couldn't pick, and just like it immediately hit the ground, like, and it was the. <laughs> I'm not made for this world. They look like big, strong hands. I thought I could hold on, but they were so curiously strong. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Katie, please resume. Uh, Shark Con is July 14th and 15th in Tampa, Florida. Uh, tickets are sharkcon.com. And then Andy Boy PJ on Reddit writes, I'm part of a vintage scooter club, the Long Beach Classic Scooter Club, and we are holding our annual rally next month, Classic Not Plastic. It's a classic-only scooter rally that starts in Long Beach, and we ride through the hills of the South Bay. If you'd like to join us, the ride meets around 10 a.m. at D Piazza's in Long Beach on Saturday, the 26th of May, and there will be an after party at evening at D Piazza's with DJs dancing and a raffle featuring a Vespa P200. It's a classic scooter only ride, which means two stroke manual shift Italian scooters only. I don't know what that means. No rockers, only it. mods. He said, for more info, go this to uh, absolute cl- beginners. <laughs> go to classicnotplastic.net. Five people are going to get that. Yeah, reference. I know. I'm glad you were one of the five. Yeah. You and April Richardson, like April, <laughs> she's listening to this, she just howled. Yeah. Uh, this episode is Leland Melvin, who is an astronaut. He's promoting the series on National Geographic called One Strange Rock. It's Mondays at 9 p.m. And it's also on channel.nationalgeographic.com. Also his memoir, Chasing Space, available now wherever books are sold. And I have to say, he was one of the most engaging, contemplative, sensitive, wonderful people that I've ever had the pleasure of having a conversation with. I mean, he, I'm going to put Leland Melvin in like my tops tops of all the podcasts that we've done. He was so wonderful and engaging and so open and honest. And I mean, you know, like I never know what people are going to talk about when mm-hmm. they show up. These conversations just kind of go where they go, where people are willing to go. I kind of just go, hey, well, you know, like we'll see where they want to talk, what they want to talk about. And I was just so floored. Um, by by how amazing he, by how amazing he was. So I I hope that you are as well, and uh, you should definitely follow Leland and and buy his book and watch his series. And if he ever speaks, you should go see him speak. And then finally, a sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Buffalo Wild Wings. Oh, gee, Buffalo Wild Wings. That's my favorite spot. Oh, I'm sure glad that guy's back. Oh, no, you're not. Hey, is he? He barely wants to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Feels good, though. Feels good. Staying healthy, staying good and healthy. Well, then you'll be excited about this. There's a bacon boss burger featuring bacon three different ways. Wait, hold on. The boss burger's got bacon now. Holy cow. And a blanket of white cheese sauce. Joined by other favorites like smothered cheesesteak quesadilla, sweet chili shrimp, and Alaska cod classic. Sounds exotic. Well, you think that's exotic, my friend. Let me tell you about the Izzy Sparkling Juices or Aquafina water. Oh, cow. <laughs> Did you just shorten holy cow? Yeah. Okay. Hurry and you just cut a syllable. I don't out like of that. saying holy because I don't want to get uh, in bed with the good Lord. Okay. So I just say, oh, cow. Who. <laughs> Hurry in today and try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings, available for a limited time while supplies last. I'll be there. The one with the Coors. Oh, cow. Oh, cow. Oh, cow. (laughs) Now you just got to make... You know, I feel like ho-cow is this guy's catchphrase as much as... Ho-cow. Uh, it was as, a snowy day, that one there. <laughs> as much as uh, uh, it's in the back. What it's was, in the back. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name? Bruce Gutter. Bruce Gutter. Bruce Gutter. <laughs> don't make it French. It's just Gutter. I did, I did a 23 in me. <laughs> and it turns out I'm a fraction of France. <laughs> Proud. It's in Le Bac. It's in Le Bac. <laughs> That's spelled with a Q. <laughs> it's in Quebec. <laughs> Another reference five people are going to get. 
Go back to 2012. Hey, people. To find the Bruce Gutter Hostful Podcast. <laughs> Everlasting. Uh, here's the ID10D Podcast number 956 with Leland Melvin. Katie, please launch the thing. Because he's an astronaut. So. NT minus. 10. 9. 8. 7. 6. Booster rocket still looking good. 5. Everything appears nominal. 4. We're all set to go. Yeah. Oh, three. I think it's three. I never learned to count! <laughs> Initiating ID10T protocol. Is that a National Geographic pin? Yes. Nice. You have one? I don't have a National Geographic pin. No, you don't have to take off your pin. Dude. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can get one. I can get another one, you know. <laughs> Neil Melvin just gotta, gave me his National on. Geographic you pin. put it on, though, brother. I'll put it on. I love these. Represent. It's magnetic. I know, right? All right. You don't have a pacemaker, do you? I do not. Okay, good. <laughs> Good. I don't want you to go out like that. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> maybe I maybe someone kidnapped me and put one in in the middle of the night. Alien abduction? Oh my alien abduction, yes, of course. That looks good right there. It uh, looks really good. Like right on the I'm wearing it. like a t shirt, so it's like right yeah, on yeah. the little collar yeah. of that. Thank you very cool. much. Nice. I gotta feel like I gotta give you, you know, like a piece I'm of vintage good, taxidermy man. or something that's in whatever's in my house. Love, love your home. I don't. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Do you are you're from Virginia, right? I Do moved you, back home to Virginia. You did move back home. Yeah. When did you move back? Uh, 2014. My dad wasn't doing well, so I moved home to be with him. Retired from NASA, mm-hmm. and I had this beautiful conversation with him, and then he died the next day. Oh my god! But it was the most incredible. I was there, you know, and. We were in the hospital, like, celebrating his life. People were singing songs. The people had to say, stop singing. You're in the emergency room. You know, you're not supposed to be so happy. And, it, I mean, great person. Did lots of great things for the community. That's yeah. an incredible story. It, yeah. and it, what, was, the, was the nature... I mean, you don't have to say. I'm sure it's... He had a personal. heart attack. But, I mean, he, he, his health had been declining. So, I mean, it's been dementia. But that day, we had the... I mean, it's like his dementia went away. And he was telling me all the things he wants me to do, you know, like, make sure you take care of your mom, you know, make sure you, you know, just live your life. And I want you to get married and have kids and do, you know, it was just my dad just like oh my talking. Gosh. And Chris, I just, and I, I was trying to figure out what had just happened because I quit my job to be there. But I released him, basically, because he knew I'd be home for my mom. And he knew, and it seems like he knew. He knew. And it was just that sort of la- that last moment of that he could um, have t- that moment, have the yeah. moment, and close the loops and close the loops. That's exactly. incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I always I'm really fascinated by that kind of thing because my my dad was this 2014. My dad also died in 2013. My dad died 2013, mm-hmm. and he had spent the last the last several months of his life just kind of getting all these things in order that he he knew. 
I don't know if he knew, but it was a weird coincidence. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. just wrapping up things and reconciling old, right. old, um, you know, old wounds and right. tying right. up things and financially, and and he just died of a heart attack. And, and so that, even if he didn't know on a, con- I mean, I don't he think knew he, subconsciously. I mean, something in his body. It seems I like that man. I truly believe that. Wow. And my dad was doing the same thing. Getting the everything in order. <laughs> so when, you know what freaks me out about that? Is that I'm gonna, if I like start getting the things in order, I'm like, am I gonna die? Why is my why am I doing this? <laughs> but what was some of the stuff he was doing? I mean, like when when we had the funeral, so we went to the people that he had been planning the funeral for. Yeah, and everything was already paid for. Everything was taken care of. We basically just had to give them pictures. To put in the you know on the website so they can see his life. Yeah, that's all we had to do was give them pictures because he had already planned. He wanted to be cremated. He wanted this. My mom and you know they worked it all out. How old was he? Eighty four. Eighty four. Oh, okay. Well, he lived a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he yeah, lived yeah, a great. Yeah. Like eighty four is good. That's, a, that's and he a... taught school for thirty years. And so the biggest the biggest present for me was like weeks after the funeral. People came to seek me out to tell me the impact my father had on their life. And one guy who he got out of jail, well, when he got out of jail, my dad had a Chevy, it was a Chevy, some Chevy, uh, maybe Impala car for him. It was an old beat up car. Hundred, he paid a hundred bucks for it. And Robert Flood came out. I said, my dad said, I've got a job for you. You need this car to get to your job. And if you screw it up, I got to get the car back. And give me a hundred dollars, <laughs> you know. Not like you know. You can keep the hundred dollars. Give it. Give it all back. Right. Screwed up. And that incentivized him to get his nose straight. And just so he at the funeral, he spoke and he said, "Your father was like my dad." Oh my god! And so many people in Lynchburg, even to this day, say, "Leland, I know you went to space and everything, but let me tell you what your dad." Your dad. <laughs> I know you all that, but... Was he a high school teacher or college? what did you... Middle school. Middle school. Yeah. Elementary and middle school and coached coach me, coach... I mean, just... We built, a, we built a camper out of a bread truck one summer. <laughs> a Marita bread truck. He pulls amazing. it in the driveway. He was a musician. He play, I, I was his roadie. I would take his, set, his PV speakers up and mm-hmm. it just... He could do anything. He wasn't an engineer, you know? He just built and did anything. Well, where did that... Where did your... Where did your uh, path come from then? When did you discover? Because obviously he's very arty. He's a musician, but he's also an educator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he, you know, he's an artist, but he has structure. Right. So where, where does your path come from? Where, where do you become an engineer? Where do you become, go, go into NASA? Like what? Right. So, my, so I always played music. I mean, I was always involved in music, but I was, my mom gave me a chemistry set when I was like in sixth grade or something. And I blew up her living room. <laughs> so non-OSHA certified, age inappropriate, and I created this explosion. And right then and there, I knew I could be a scientist because I'd already done it. <laughs> I know? remember those old chemistry sets. Right? They were, you could, you could, I mean, you could do some damage. The most, the the the, old, the safest thing about them is that they were like, "This is toxic. Be careful. Right? right. Don't don't drink this. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But that I was, was like, it. They still gave them. Don't to put you. it in your eye. Don't put it in your eye. Don't you know? Don't <laughs> let don't let this touch your skin. Oh my god, man! And smoke and flames. And I was like, 
<laughs> and then I majored in chemistry in college. <laughs> but you also, but I, but I think you, you did you play you played football in high school too? And then, so musician, sports, and science. This is a very uncommon. That's a very uncommon trio, especially in the probably the late seventies. Yeah, it early eighties. Uh, born in sixty four, so graduated from high school in eighty two. Mm-hmm. College scholarship to Richmond. And then I went, got drafted to the Detroit Lions in the NFL. Oh my god! Did you know that? I didn't know that. Did yeah. you play, or did you say no? I was, I was, um, went to training camp, pulled a hamstring the second week in training camp with the Lions, then played in some preseason games. Then they cut me. Dallas signed me for the next season, mm-hmm. the Cowboys. And then I started grad school at UVA. In January and left in March to go play with the Cowboys. <laughs> so, so they they videotaped the courses, they mailed them to me in in, in Valley Ranch until by day I'm catching footballs for America's team. You know, I'm like, eh. oh my and god! And then at night I'm watching videotapes, material science, engineering. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That's incredible, insane, right? How long did you play football? And so then, do you remember Danny White? No, I'm not, I don't know much about sports, okay, so if he's a sports so guy. Danny White was a quarterback, okay. and he's ready to throw. I'm stretching. He's like, rookie, let's go throw. I'm like, well, let's run a half speed out because I'm coming off this hamstring injury, mm-hmm. and I just want to you know, take it easy to warm up. And so I'm about to run this route, and Tom Landry, he's the mm-hmm. head coach, he walks in the field, and Danny's, he's like, oh, my God, i got to show him what I've got. you know. So we do an audible from a half speed 10-yard out to – Run as fast and as far as you can and go for it. He just throws the ball as far as he can, trying to impress the coach. And I'm a rookie, so I just go for it and boom, my leg, I pull it again. That's the end of my football career. But I go back to grad school and then go work for NASA. May have literally been the best thing that ever happened to yeah. you. Yeah. I, so I, an I thank Danny White for getting me to space. <laughs> <laughs> you were injured on the ground, that allowed you to go to space. Are we re- recording? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. You okay. know what? What seems really um, you, you you've been in so many different sectors, like you've experienced so many different disparate types of things. But but what is really interesting to me about this experience you had with your dad is you that is a very on the ground, up close and personal, very experiential, experiential part of the human race experience. But. But you also have this experience where you're, you know, on the edge of the earth, staring yeah. down, where I imagine that probably creates a lot of perspective. Right. So what do those two perspectives, how do they relate to one another? And did one necessarily help inform the other in terms of dealing with that or right. give you some perspective? Because I would imagine we feel, you probably feel very small when you're oh, yeah. up, up staring oh, yeah. down at the earth and you right. just see this marble. Small and connected. Because you go around the planet every 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if I'm flying over Virginia, my hometown, and I look down and see my family's eating and we're having a meal in space, you know, five, ten minutes later, you're over Paris. And so Leo Eihartz, who's the French astronaut, he's looking down like, hey, my parents probably eating too. And, <laughs> and Yuri is looking over to Russia. Hey, my parents probably eating too, you know. <laughs> so you have this, like, collective of experiences about home. Mm-hmm. And the hearth and meals and family, what it means to be a family and what it means to be home, whether you're on a space station flying at 17,000 miles an hour or whether you're sitting in your mom's kitchen eating meatloaf, you know, <laughs> with ketchup. And, and I think, you know, from a child, my both of my parents, um, 
my mom read to me every night the little engine that could, mm-hmm. right? And Curious George. And so those two books were like my foundation of thinking of what I can be and what I can do. Curious George went to space, but I never thought about myself in space. But I knew that he could do anything because he had the support of the man in the yellow hat. Right. And then the little engine that could, you know, Waddy Piper's book, Pull the Big Engine. So I was a little guy growing up. And that book told me that, yeah, I can pull a big engine over the mountain. <laughs> or I can do any, you know, anything. And I watched my dad build a freaking camper. And he's a language arts teacher. He's not an engineer. And I helped him build it. He was just good with his hands? Yeah, just, I mean, and not even, even if he wasn't good with his hands, he would figure it out. Because it was, he couldn't, you know, it was school teachers. They couldn't afford to buy a camper. Right. So it was by necessity that you get good with your hands to build something that you need. And that was our vacation in the summers when they were off. We went on these trips all around the country. Virginia Beach, went to Florida, Disney World, and we're in this bread truck camper. <laughs> Bunk beds that flip down. They built a sofa for them that flips out. Coleman stove, plumbed a propane tank in a Oh, my stove. God. That sounds like an HGTV show. Yeah, it was. But it was, you know, <laughs> before that. You know, I guess you probably don't have the bread truck camper anymore, do you? I wish we did. Oh, my gosh. I wish we did. It was, it was classic. And, when, and it wasn't until... I remember the day that we painted it because that's when I believed it was a camper, not a bread truck. And I didn't have a vision past the labeling to see that it, it transformed to our home. But he, uh, he saw that. He, saw he the had vision. the vision. Yeah, yeah. Well, 500 so- bucks. It What? $500 for the bread truck. Oh, my God. You know? A Winnebago was going for, you know, like 40000 You know, we... Well, it sounds like he... It sounds like your dad had this amazing ability to see... The potential and what was special about stuff and people, stuff and people. He's about this this man who was in prison yeah, that he right. says, "I I believe in you when you right, get out." Right. And then also the bread truck. Right. You know, he's able to see the camper in the bread truck, or he's able to see mm-hmm. the citizen and the man who had been incarcerated. And right. hey, you know, you, we shouldn't just we shouldn't just throw you away, and that's it. You got to start over. And right. here's here's how you're gonna here's how you're gonna do that. And I would imagine as an educator, he probably had to do that a hundred times a day, day with middle day. school and elementary school kids. And that's what I think he taught me about. Just because something has a label, just because you're, you know, a chemist and not an aerospace engineer, that you can still do this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that you can do anything. And so, you know, it wasn't until my friend. So I'm working at NASA now, and my friend says, hey, NASA's hiring, you know, to be astronauts. You should be – you'd be a great astronaut. And he handed me the application. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right. And I threw it down. And that, that same year, another friend of mine, Charlie Camarda, he got into the astronaut program. And I looked at him, and I said, they let that knucklehead in? <laughs> Damn, he got in? <laughs> well, if he can get in, I can get in, you know. And so the next – and then – he flew back to um, NASA Langley in Hampton, Virginia, mm-hmm. with John Young in a NASA T-38. These blue, sleek Mach 1.3 jets. They flew from Houston to NASA. And I see him land. And then I'm like, wow, he's flying in that thing? And I gave this presentation. And Charlie and John Young came to my presentation. You know John Young, right? He yeah. walked on the moon, yeah. first pilot of the, of the shuttle, Columbia. And, I, and then when I went to do the interview... He was on the selection board. And he said, Lila Melvin, Lila Melvin, he's doing these great things with his optical fibers down in Nash Langley. He's playing football in the NFL. And, you know, he's a good guy, y'all. Listen to, listen to what he's got to say now. You know, <laughs> it was like, wow, John Young just said that, you know. 
And so, you know, it was just like one thing after another. Let me turn this phone on. So what what work were you doing with optical fibers? I've got some swag for you, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is awesome. I have more left in the car. But, um, I'm definitely going to So that's Astronaut STEAM Explorer, Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math. Mm-hmm. And so that's my... That's when I try to get kids to think about themselves as steam explorers versus just, you know, an explorer. Like a little engine that could. Nice. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing with that. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. We just blew it up. We fist bumped and then we blew it up. <laughs> Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what. Tell me at that point what you're doing with optical fibers. So, you know, communication, typically Verizon, Sprint, they have these optical fibers running through the ground to give you the high bandwidth instead of fibers fiber for communication when you use them as sensors so you can actually wrap this tank with this fiber so it's a hydro uh, cryogenic tank hydrogen or oxygen or whatever and you can detect where the leaks are so when you're coming home the computer brain can say hey look there's a leak in bay 23 of this tank when we land we can go right there and fix it the rest of the tanks intact so we can turn the vehicle around faster and get the space quicker. So it's a, it's, it was for the reusable launch vehicle program. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a team, we were actually making our own tower for making the glass in situ where we can take a laser and put etch these gratings into the glass, recode it, and use it as a strain gauge. And the nice thing about this is you can make thousands of them along whatever length you want. So I can wrap this huge tank with sensors and let it tell me where it's damaged. Mm-hmm. So strain, temperature, and even um, you know if it's leaking oxygen or hydrogen, you could use that sensor to measure those things too. So, but then how do you get there from just a, a, a post-hamstring injury NFL <laughs> career to wrapping tanks in glass? Right. So I go from... So I'm at Dallas, pull the hamstring, mm-hmm. go back to grad school at UVA, finish my master's. I'm about to finish my master's, and this, they have a career fair in Charlottesville. And this woman behind the NASA booth, she comes out. Her name is Rosa, Rosa Webster. She says, hey, what's your name? Leland Melvin. I've been looking for you. Come here. I'm like, what, what do you mean? You're going to work at NASA. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> because DuPont and Dow were paying like way more than the government, sure. federal government. So I was going to get paid, you know. Right. And uh, and she said, well, you know, the career fair is over. Help me take these books and these pamphlets and things out to my car. So I walk out with her. She says, just come down to NASA Langley and and check it out. So I, I go down the next week or something, and I am basically interviewed by these people. And she says, um, you know, just just – Give it, you know, open up your mind. Just think about it. So the next week I have a job offer from NASA. And I'm like, wow, okay, well. And she says, oh, you can get your Ph.D. here, too, if you want to. We'll send you back to school to get your Ph.D. while you're working. And we'll pay for it. I'm like, really? Wow, okay. And it was a beautiful campus, you know, collegiate people just walking around, like, thinking about things. (laughs) You know, we're Hidden Figures. We're uh, Katherine Johnson from the movie Hidden Figures was. And I met her, and we were in this organization together. And it was just this organic, beautiful research and, you know, just a cool place. And so I I took the job, and I started working. And um, I went back for my Ph.D. at University of Maryland. 
and something just was not right. It wasn't time for me to get that. I just didn't feel like I should be there at that time. And so I had about a year of, of, of classes and stuff, and I came back to Langley, and I got this fiber optic sensor management position to, to do this thing with this reusable launch vehicle. So that got me exposure to the folks down at JSC when John Young came up to see the work, and they were, you know, they were hiring astronauts again, and it just the timing worked perfectly. It seems so weird to hear that, like hiring astronauts. It almost feels like you. It almost, it almost feel, I, I just imagine some romantic process like Harry Potter getting an owl letter. It's like, it's like think of it as a job. Like, oh, you get hired as an astronaut. Right, like right. that seems so like oh, you know, it's like. Oh, I could uh, go work at this job, or then I could be an astronaut, and then I could go do... Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, um, pouring of the water. <laughs> thank you, sir. All right. Um, it just I'll, seems I'll like... A, the electronics. Here. <laughs> we can clip that part out where we're pouring the water anyway, so it'll be fine. So it, it... I guess I just never really think of it as like, oh, it's a job, you know? Like, it's a job. It really is. Uh, I mean, and but a lot of people, they've... All their life, they saw the moon landing, and they wanted to be astronauts, and that wasn't me. I wanted to be Arthur Ashe. You know Arthur Ashe? Tennis, <laughs> tennis player? player, yeah. He trained five blocks down the street from where I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. And there's a guy named Dr. Whirlwind Johnson who was the first black doctor who integrated the local hospital. Oh, wow. I not only, I not only interacted with him, but I lived in Dr. Johnson's apartments before we moved to Pierce Street. And so when you think about this, the history of Pierce, you know much about Lynchburg at all? No. And I'm getting off tangent here, but this is, this is really a, a formation, I guess, a foundational thing that happened. I wanted to be Arthur Ashe. Empathy, you know, incredible tennis player, athleticism, brilliant, you know, just this great person. My dad talked about him being a great person. Won every tournament known to humankind, right? Whirlwind Johnson integrated this this hospital where I was born. Chauncey Spencer, who lived three blocks down, two blocks, two houses down from Dr. Johnson, was the person who asked Harry S. Truman, Senator Harry S. Truman at the time, for the money to send to to pay for black aviators in, in the military. He flew an old Lincoln Page biplane down to Washington and he tried to get flying lessons in Lynchburg, but they wouldn't allow blacks to learn how to fly. So he moved to Chicago. This black mechanic trained him how to fly. And then him and his buddy flew around the country doing these little stunts around the country. Truman gave him $2 million for money to go towards That's what, an incredible what, story. What became the Tuskegee Airmen. And is that... Has that ever been made into a movie? Or, like that's a that's an incredible story. So I have it's in my book. I talk about the the legacy of Pier Street, and Chauncey's mother was Anne Spencer, who was a, a world renowned poet for the Harlem Renaissance. The NAACP started a chapter in her home when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to the house. Oh my start. God! You talk about connect like everything Think being about connected. This, this street is like Inspiration Street, and I'm five blocks down the street from all of this. So if you think about the first blacks flying, the Tuskegee Airmen, that set the path for the first black astronauts. And this is happening with these people right in my hometown. Right? That's, that's really incredible because it, the idea that you – and at the time when you were, when you were doing this, did it, did it feel like um, – I didn't know. You didn't know. I didn't know until I wrote my book and I did the research. 
um, Sean Spencer's Chauncey's daughter, who was telling me about some of these things. Because I went to her to find out more about her dad and just some of the influences, and she just broke it down. So in Chasing Space, an astronaut's story of grit, grace, and second chances, there was a story of Pier Street. There's a story of Katherine Johnson, Rosa Webster, these incredible women and men that inspired me, even though I didn't know at the time that they were kind of laying the foundation for me to get the space. But did you did you feel uh, did you feel any of the racial pressures at the time? Oh, yeah. You, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Even then? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a job in a bank as a, as a janitor when I was in middle school. And I remember cleaning the toilet, and I think it was the bank president or vice president or something, walked down and I spoke to him, and he looked at me like I was an alien. And it was the first time that I really felt like I didn't belong or that, you know, why is this man not even speaking to me? I'm friendly to him. He's, But it was because I was black or maybe because I was a janitor, you know. So it was either racism or classism or whatever. And either side is not a great right. I mean, on it's his not part. Cool. Yeah. Whatever yeah. ism it is. Whatever, right. whatever it is, the guy was a dick. <laughs> right. So, you know, so I knew at that point that there was – the haves and the have-nots, and there were, you had your place, you know. Um, but, you know, but my parents always taught me, you know, do your best and just keep moving forward and don't let people, don't let ignorance define you. Mm-hmm. And I remember recently um, with LeBron James and his basketballs, you probably don't know about the sports stuff, but this this Fox reporter said... Oh, that, yeah, she was in the news today, too. Oh, really? During so the last couple of days. Just dribble, shut up and dribble. Yeah. I mean, shut up and dribble. So as a citizen, you don't have the in right. 28, in 2017, I guess shut that happened. Shut up and dribble. Yeah. Shut up and dribble, yeah. yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? And, and, and Kyle Irving, was, he said one of the most beautiful, eloquent things. He says, I don't let ignorant people even come into my, my consciousness. I, I, I rise above that. And I think of people like Harriet Tubman, who was transporting slaves from the Deep South to the north to have them escape from slavery and then going back knowing what would happen to her if she got caught. So this liberation, this ability to rise above the fear, the tactics, the clan, the whatever, to to great things, to greatness. Right. And and that a lot of that uh, feels like being dedicated to a greater purpose. A greater cause. Right. And certainly, you know, because you uh, were a successful astronaut and chemist and scientist and in all of the things you do, then that inspires a whole other generation of people who go, oh, my gosh, I can do that. I see myself in that guy. I can do that. Representation matters. Well, whether, of course. Whether it's from that guy's from Lynchburg, no matter what color, or that's a black guy who got to space or he's an astronaut, you know, or. <laughs> Because <laughs> I got it. Because when we were in space, in my second mission, I was with Dr. Bobby Satcher, who were both African American males. And so the first time the two black men were in space at the same time, Tom Joyner interviewed us. Radio personality has a million listenership in the black community. And so when Sybil first saw us, she's one of the co-hosts on the show. She said, "Look at them! There go the astronauts." <laughs> And that stuck. <laughs> but, you know, that million listenership, there were kids that heard that, that transmission. And so there are kids even to this day that say, I'm going into aerospace engineering because I heard that broadcast back in 2009. Wow, that's incredible. And mothers stopped on freeways in Houston to say, this is history. Listen to this interview. 
And we came back, and uh, Tom Joyner, myself, Bobby, and some other people got some honorary doctorates at Bobby's father's university. And he gave money to every graduate, and he talked about, you know, you can really do or be anything you put your mind to. And it just using that, that image of representation and space by the first two black astronauts, astronauts, whatever, but that you can do it too. So that was really powerful for me. That really is incredible. And, and, it, and it, it seems to be a lot of it sort of rooted in, you know, whatever it was that your dad was teaching you at right. the time about, right. you know, seeing, seeing more than what others might see in something right. or what others, like it's really, it, 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 it's like, it's like artistic thinking within science. Right. It's being right. able to see beyond just what a physical representation might exactly. be and seeing, seeing everything that's. That's inside. I mean, it's right. it's you, it, you don't have to unpack that far to see like, oh, okay. Well, this seems to be where this, the this came from. Yeah, these these have these connections. Whether it's whether it's uh, you know human connection or scientific or artistic or, and I think you know we'll probably get to this in a minute. But one strange rock. It's it's a combination. You know, it's not your typical documentary where you have this person talking about the science of this thing. And it's kind of disconnected from the cinematographic beauty, you know. But Darren and Jane Root from Newtopia, they bring together the artistry and the cuts that make you go, what was that? What is that thing? You know, you're, you're like, your brain is like, I don't know what that is, but now Will Smith is telling me about it. And, right. And you have these, sorry about that. That's all right. And you have these, you know, storytellers that are, in theory, credible because they've done this incredible thing in space, and only 562 people have been there out of the, you know, billions of people we have on this planet. So maybe they are credible. Maybe we can listen to them. Maybe we'll trust them to be, you know, not fake news storytellers, right? But authentic, telling their life's journey, mission, back to how it fits into the planet. Yeah, and and again, <clears throat> the idea that. Everyone should be able to aspire. Everyone should be able to have people that they look up to and relate to right. to, to inspire them and go, oh, my right. gosh, right. that person did this. I'm like that. I can. I guess I can do that because right. that's – when you're a kid, of course that's you how you – do anything. Of course that – and that's how you think. You, right. see, you see someone or something and you connect to it. And I think you know everyone. Just everyone deserves those connection right, points. Right. No it's matter just, what, no matter what zip code you're from. It doesn't matter because that's that's how humanity is right. gets better as a whole. Like it right. because as many people doing great things as, as possible. Is, yes, the when the water level rises, we all we all rise. But I I do have to say, and the other thing for me is that you've expe- you. I mean, listen, I know I. I I, I used to think very like binary when I was growing up because I was just talking about to Joe Manganiello about this about when I was growing up, uh, nerds were nerds, the sports Jock, kids were sports kids, you know, jock nerd syndrome, the jock nerd syndrome. But now you know the idea is like, wow, a sports guy became an astronaut. You know, it's like right. you were you played professional football and then well that didn't work out. It's gonna go. Uh, it's gonna go fly in space for a while. <laughs> I mean that is an incredible. That's an incredible journey, and I think, and I think, and I hope people do as much research about you as possible because I think there's a lot of inspiration in your story and what you've done to make people go, "Oh my gosh!" Well, I wow, I I did this one thing. Why couldn't right. I go right. do this other right. thing? Right. Right. But obviously, 
you must have and again this comes from the 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 art the, the heart of an artist with the with the mind of a structured of structured discipline like where does the discipline come but here's from here's the deal though i mean okay chris when i was in space my first mission quincy jones called up and interviewed me in space and quincy jones said the two most um what do you say Math and music are the two true absolutes that use both the right and left side of the brain. So if you know math, you know music. We get taught that you can either be a scientist or an artist. No one tells you that you can do both. And so this whole left brain, right brain thing, when you do math, you're using both sides of your brain. When you're creating things, you're using both sides of your brain, really. Mm -hmm. But we've been told that this is a mindset that we have, that you can either do one or the other. And so the A is so integral to STEM and to make steam, to create things with both sides of the brain. And it's really, a, it's, it's really together. Well, music is very, I mean, music is mathematical. Yeah, right, it's like right. if you look at a music sheet and you see how notes are broken down into half notes, quarter notes, whole notes, if you think about if you, the, the production of music right. is physics, yeah, you know, yeah, basically yeah. the shortening and lengthening right. of a string to right. create a certain note. I mean, it, But people don't think about it that way, though. They think if you're an artist, you're a creative. Right. You're not a... A STEM person, you know, and I think I think that has become such a fallacy in the way we've educated our kids that they do think that it's one or the other. I mean, was it Martha Graham who I think she's a kinesthetic learner, and so if she's in the room moving, she's she needs to be medicated. You know, you you, you can't you, you can't just some kids can't just sit still and watch someone writing on a board and learn from that. Maybe they have to get up and move and build it and create it. And right. I think that's. So we have different learning styles from different different kids. Right. There's, to, there's not everyone's different. Yeah. And we force but we try to force everyone into the same box of teaching that's archaic. So I yeah. if I were given the opportunity to go into space, I'm not sure I would. And that's mainly because I'm somewhat claustrophobic. And I'm not sure I have this horrible fear that I'm not like it's being offered as an option, but I would get into space and be like, oh, my God, I'm stuck in space. Like, was there ever any I mean, obviously, to go through the training program to be an astronaut, you have to you really I mean, I remember watching the right stuff Uh and watching the training sequences and the right stuff. And some guys, it just they just couldn't deal with it. So obviously you overcame those hurdles. But were there any moments up in space where you're like, "Uh, oh, my God, I think maybe I don't want to be up here right now. Or was it the entire did you did they have to did you did they drag you back into the return module kicking and screaming and floating? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I'm kind of an even kill guy. So it doesn't a lot of things don't like get me riled up either way. But um, I think it was the bathroom experience is what kind of like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> it, it was the craziest thing because I, I was the crew medical officer on my first flight. So I had to make sure every one of my crew was peeing and pooping and, in, in you know, early and often. Sure. Right? But no one was checking on me. <laughs> so I'm like eating everything. I'm hungry. And, and it comes time to do with the business. And it just keeps going and going. And the thing is only this deep. Oh, no. As I'm showing the, the toilet depth here. Oh, no. And it's so, not that deep. <laughs> so I'm like, whoa. You know, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> As you and fire yourself around, across it. Yeah, and I turn around and look at this thing, and this thing is like... <laughs> so that that kind of blew my mind. It's like I'm a snake charmer, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, because you can't train for that on the ground, right? <laughs> so 
but that didn't keep me from like continuing on with the mission. You know? I wasn't like traumatized. Hashtag astronaut problems. <laughs> the coiling of the snake. In the, I mean, it, but that, but you know, those are the very human things right. that you have to, you deal, have to deal with. with. You deal with, you right, know, that right. other than just just like anything else, you're floating in space in a David it. Bowie video, like you know Chris Hadfield. Right, you right, know, right. Like, there's a lot of those. <laughs> you know, and, and and I don't know. I don't. I mean, th- this idea of um, recreational space travel to the edge of the atmosphere is right. this a good idea or it's is great. it better? You like it? I mean, think about back in the day when only the very rich were flying in the airplane, right? Now everyone's flying on an airplane. I mean, not everyone, but you know, it's it's something that's it's common. People can do. Yeah, you know. And so, if you want to go on a vacation to low Earth orbit to have your honeymoon or to do something, I mean, right now with Richard Branson, it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, there were people that paid thirty million to fly on a Soyuz to go to the International Space Station. So, if you look look at thirty million versus two hundred fifty k, granted, that's still a lot of money. But that's a significant de- right, decline in right. the price. And so, over time, as technology gets better, as Moore's law continues to sure, we're gonna the price point will come down, and everyday people will have the opportunity. I believe that. I mean, Elon's trying to do it. Richard's trying to do it. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos with Orbital. Um, everyone's trying to do it. Is there just a junkyard floating around the planet There's right now? There's a lot of trash up there. It's, orbital debris is something that we really have to be careful about. I mean, because one satellite hits another and it spalls off and creates all this extra junk. And I think... Uh, Space Command is tracking all that junk that's two centimeters and above. But the things that are smaller, there's a lot of kinetic energy that can take out a vehicle. So you got to be careful. You got to be really careful. I mean, I would imagine that someone is going to come out, like an Elon Musk or someone is going to go, hey, I'll uh, clean up space junk. So, you know, give me a billion dollars and, and I'll go and, clean up space but junk. That's why we need people to be creative and think out of the box and don't think that. It just has to be the government that can bring the solutions. You know, it can be someone who's a computer scientist or who made PayPal. They can say, I'm going to make a Tesla, and then I'm going to build a rocket, and then I'm going to go to Mars, and I'm going to do this. And so how many kids are out there looking at Elon Musk saying, he's doing all these cool things. Why can't I do it? You know, I don't have to be working for the government. I can start my own company. Right. And that's where I think that's where the pendulum shifts, and we get these radical, innovative Things that transform our society. Right. What are good questions you think people should be asking to problem solve these types of things, or to or to innovate new technologies? Like, what's what's a good? I assume that you ask yourself good questions to problem solve. So, what are good questions that people can ask to problem solve? I think I think the biggest questions that we should ask ourselves are not the technological ones, but it's the societal. <sighs> And the human connection ones, like the divisiveness of what's in our country now, separating people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that separation keeps you from being innovative and creative because the best solutions – there was a Scientific American article that came out in 2013 or 14, and they did this study on where do the most innovative solutions come from. And it's when you have the most diverse teams, no matter what that diversity is. And they even looked at Wall Street. They said that – the companies that have a, a, a woman in a VP position on average make $40 million more than the other companies that don't because 
that one person may say, hey, did you think about it this way, where everyone else is thinking with the same mindset. Right. And then they're in an echo chamber. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're all, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Well, or they don't ask the question because they think that Jim's going to already think that way. Right. Or Bob's going to think that way. So, so if we really embrace diversity, if we really bring people together that wear different headdresses, that eat different meals, and speak different languages, they will think about something that this group over here is not thinking about. Right. And we'll solve the problem. So... I don't think it's the technological innovation. I think it's the human connection innovation that we really need to work on. Yeah. So if you're not going to do it because you're an enlightened person, do it. Do it for greed, for humanity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You'll make more money. <laughs> but, 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 but seriously, I mean, I'm kidding when I say that. But, but seriously, like, it, do the right thing. Do the right thing for, for, for humanity. Right, right. Because it, you know, it. Anyone, I mean, look, you know, what was Lincoln? Um, I think there's a, a very thick book called Team of Rivals, and it's Lincoln. It's, it's all about Lincoln and about how his cabinet was essentially created. You know, it was all, all these people who would have otherwise been his rivals rather than surrounding himself by people who already thought the way he did. Right. People, you know, right. it, 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 if someone's ego isn't threatened to be challenged and by new ideas or things they don't necessarily agree with, even to just start a conversation right, of, right. oh, okay, well, I don't know if I agree with that, but let's break that down and figure out why. Can we can we agree or can we find common ground or at least at least go through the motions of having the conversation? Right. right. But you know, it's like uh, you, you're evolving or you're diva or you're di- or you're dying and shriveling, and unless you're getting in new information. Which you would get through diversity of thought and and people. If you own stocks, you diversify your portfolio. You would hope to. You don't sink (laughs) everything into one. I mean, you can, but that's not the smartest thing to do. I mean, it's you know, but it's power and control. I I guess it is. Yeah, yeah. You're right. People want the money. People alienate themselves into we're the only people that can generate this and. And so they become more insular because they want the control in this group of people that are their and, and their fear. buddies and fear. fear. People people get scared when they when they attain a certain amount of something or a certain right. status because they're afraid of losing it and right. and ironically it compels them to not take risks, which is riskier, I think, to not take exactly. risks. For but it's that fear of taking the risk, though. Right. Like, think about the rocket that we fly in. We knew that, you know, we had Apollo 1 fire, we had a Challenger fire, you had a Challenger explosion, and we had a Columbia, you know, disintegration on reentry. And if we had feared, Congress had to decide where we were going to continue after Columbia. So if they had feared, you know, our taxpayers are not going to allow this thing to happen again or, or don't want this to happen, we would have stopped the space shuttle program. We wouldn't have finished the building of the International Space Station bringing people together. And so not letting your fear incapacitate you to the point where you're not advancing, whether it's technologically or whether it's human connection. I mean, how does the program, you know, pick up and start, I wouldn't say start over, but, you know, continue Mm -hmm. after a tragedy like this? Obviously, um, I would imagine people are scared. People are, you know, they obviously, because they don't want this to happen again. And so how, how, how does... How do they find the 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 sort of the the, the drive to, to go? Never, ne- we're not going to let this happen again. We have, you know, we have to move on. We have to, you know, right. uh, honor what what this was and and do better. We figured out. I mean, we did an investigation board. We figured out what the root cause was. Um, it was 
you know, this engineer actually said, hey, there's a potential problem. I, there was foam that came off the tank. It's possible that it hit something, but it got stopped by the manager. It said, oh, that can't happen. You know, that, and so because of their mindset or their non-diverse mindset of thinking of this possibility, they shut it down. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, it could have possibly been safe. Who knows? But, Are you... When you're sitting, you know, when you're sitting in the shuttle and you're waiting to take off, like what, what, just tell me like what your day is like that day. You wake, you wake up, it's probably dark outside. Are you anxious? Are you excited? Are you just very focused? Like what, and then please walk me through up to like, to sitting in the, sitting in the, in the shuttle. And then as you're taking off, like what, what is everything that's going through your body and mind at that point? So we have this meal, you know, you get what you want. If you want a steak and eggs or whatever you want, you get this meal. And then you go into the ready room and you're sitting in the same lazy board chairs that the Apollo astronauts did. <laughs> oh putting gosh. on your orange pumpkin suit, right? <laughs> and then three and a half hours before launch, you're, they're taking you out, getting you in the vehicle, strapped in. You're placing your knee boards, your checklist, all your things. You're looking at, you know, reach and vis and getting to the switches. And then, you know, you have the three, two, one. Right before that, we're fist bumping, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah, we're going to go to space. You know? <laughs> but, but even before that, though, I was thinking about um, Columbia. And the night of the Columbia accident, I was, I went to console the parents of David Brown, who was one of the mission specialists that died on that accident. And I'll never forget, at that moment, his father said to me, my son is gone. There's nothing you can do to bring him back. But the biggest tragedy would be if we don't continue to fly in space to honor their legacy. He's already talking about the legacy of that crew and his son. And so when I was sitting in the vehicle, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to honor the legacy. And when his father told me that, I wasn't medically qualified to fly in space. I had lost all my hearing in a training accident. I went completely deaf. And they told me I would never fly in space. And so my hearing came back and slowly, you know, I, I have hearing loss in my left ear. I only have the speaking frequencies in my right ear. So technically, I'm not medically qualified to fly. But as we flew around the country to the different memorial services to honor our fallen heroes, the chief of all the flight surgeons, he was watching me clear my ears as we descended, and he wrote me a waiver to fly in space. Oh, my gosh, that's incredible. So if I'd never been there for the families, and if I'd never – and actually, after I was injured – NASA was trying to figure out what to do with me. So they sent me to Washington, D.C. to work in education. And that's when the accident happened. We were trying to nominate, get students to nominate their teachers to become astronauts. And from that program, we hired Dottie Metcalf-Lindenberger, who was a middle school teacher, uh, Ricky Arnold, who taught in the international school, high school teacher, who is now in space as a long-duration crew member with my other friends up there, and then um, Joe Acaba, who just came home as a geology school teacher in Florida, who just came from space. What was the accident? It was a Columbia accident. When we were, when the Columbia was coming home uh, February 1st, 2003, we had just kicked off this educator astronaut program. And so that's the night I went to David's father's house. And from there, we were consoling the families and going to the different memorial services. I mean, I mean, what was the accident? For oh, my accident. Loss? Oh, yeah. um, so you know, you're in the spacesuit. You train to do spacewalks in the five million gallon pool, the neutral buoyancy laboratory in Houston. And if you're the kind of person that needs to squeeze your nose to clear your ears, mm-hmm. 
you can't obviously do that in the pool because you can't right. reach into the mass. So they have a little $2 styrofoam block that's Velcroed into your helmet that you can press your nose against to clear your ears. Innovation. All right. Hey, it worked. But they didn't put mine in. Oh, they forgot to put mine in. So I went down 20 feet in the water, and I told the test director to turn the volume up in the headset. And from that point on, I heard nothing but static. They brought me out of the pool. They popped my helmet off. The flight surgeon is walking towards me, moving his lips, and I'm thinking he's playing with me. He touches my right ear. There's a river of blood now that's streaming out the side of my ear. Oh, my God. And I am completely deaf. Emergency surgery, they operate, they go around look for what's in my ear, and they say, well, we didn't, they write on a legal pad, well, we couldn't find anything, so we have to do an autopsy to figure out what happened. I'm saying, no, I'm good. I said, okay, I'm, uh, I'll be deaf and live and not hear. But three weeks later, um, my hearing starts to come back slowly. This ear is still but you didn't expect that that was going to happen. Uh, no, no. So way. by that point, you had just accepted, well, I'm just not going to hear again. Right, right, while we're recovering. But if you back up, this is a convoluted story, but please back up three days before the accident. I'm in Lynchburg, Virginia, not far from Pier Street. My parents are having their 35th wedding anniversary. My cousin comes in from North Carolina. She has a friend with her named Jeanette. Jeanette is in the car with me. I never met this woman before. She says, Leland, I want to share something with you. I'm like, okay. And I had just come back from Russia working with the cosmonauts and the astronauts going to the space station, the first crew to the space station. She says, something's going to happen to you. No one's going to know why this happened. You will recover from this. You will fly in space. Oh, my God. And this will be the story you tell to the world. Oh, my God. Four days before I go deaf, this woman, Jeanette, tells me this. And so when I'm in the hospital, post-surgery, I'm laying there, and this other friend of mine comes in and writes on a legal pad, remember what Jeanette said, you will fly in space. So I never gave up hope. I was like, the little that could, I think I can. You know, <laughs> it comes back. My hearing's coming back. I mean, and but because this is totally trash, my, my left ear, they're, they're just saying you're not going to fly. And so that one doctor believed in me because of what I was doing to help the fallen heroes and what I'd done in education. And he just believed that I'll be okay. So what, I mean, what do, you, what do you say to people who maybe are in a situation like this or befallen some sort of a tragedy that it feels like, well, that just might be it. I mean, obviously you had Jeanette's words right. that helped this right. something to cling on to, but, right. what, but what else? Like, what else do you? You know, I, I, I believe, I try to think of positive things and good things and bad things happen to so many people and, you know. I mean, when I was five years old, I was raped, you know, by people in the neighborhood. What? Yeah. And so I, I'm a me too. <laughs> and so, so when that happened to me, I thought I can't tell anyone because my father would kill the people. I mean, he, you know, his son, right? You know, he would have, phys- I, I know he would have probably killed them. So, and I had friends without fathers. So I don't want to lose my father. So at five years old, I'm processing. I can't say anything because my father would be in jail. And 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 I remember over the course of you know going to college and coming home and seeing those people, and it just made me. I felt sorry for them because I had risen above that. And the only reason I put that in my book is because my father had passed. You know, I wrote the book after he passed. So he he never knew. He never knew. Oh 
my yeah. God. So, and now this is helping other people, especially the shame that men have. Like, I should have fought him back. I should have done something. I should have, you, you were know. five. Yeah, no, but still, I mean, but but to share it, you know, that's something that I think we need to do, as, especially as young men, as men, as people, just to share these things so we can help other people recover and get the help they need to not be abusers or not, you know, feel shame and and don't rise, you know, feel like they can't do this or turning to drugs or alcohol, whatever, you know, but to get what they need. And I've after I, I told this story on um, Here and Now, uh, NPR, and I was in Here and Now. Anyway, so NPR, there were people that sent me email messages saying, thank you. I needed that. I see you got to the stars, even though this happened to you. And I'm going to do the same thing or I'm going to, you know, so I think our stories are what. Or what's the power? But but ultimately, these people were never brought to justice. Mm-mm. But they have kids. They have families. They, I know they probably think about it. They know that you know. I wrote this about it. And hopefully, they they have figured out and and have consoled it in their their soul to to do the right thing. And what has stopped you since your dad passed from naming names and why at this point? I don't. Yeah, it's. What good will it do? Maybe that's maybe that's something that I'm still wrestling with myself. Sure, you know, um, but I do have closure from the standpoint of putting it out there that you know you can go through these things and still rise from it. Well, it will 100% continue to help people. I mean, every facet of your story between tragedies and overcoming obstacles and I mean, every from every angle, your story is is incredible and inspiring. I think I can. I think I can. <laughs> well, you know, you you say these two books that that essentially you your mom read to you every night are before I could read. Before you could read, two fundamentals of success basically are you know perseverance and curiosity. Those two exactly. things together, the exactly. two foundation. You have to ask. Be curious, want to learn, ask good questions, and then have the drive right. to push through when you're not necessarily getting the answers you right. want right away. In lifelong learning, you know. You still feel like you're, you're still learning? Every day. I have a new puppy, Zorro, Rhodesian Ridgeback Rescue. He's teaching me stuff every single day. I built this barrier to keep him from going into the living room. He just sat back and looked at it just <laughs> for like maybe two minutes, turned back to me. And then ran full bolt and knocked it down and went into the living room and just wagging his tail like, look what I did. <laughs> so my engineering skills weren't enough <laughs> to keep my little dog, my 35-pound dog, out of the living room. Your dog doesn't know you worked for NASA. So <laughs> I think he does, and he's laughing. <laughs> you just All you need to do is wrap the dog in, in optic fibers to, to find out. <laughs> there, there, there's this – got to read this quote to you from uh, Steinbeck. It says uh, – This is so funny. He says, I've seen a look in dogs' eyes, a quickly vanishing look of amazed contempt, and I'm convinced that basically dogs think humans are nuts. (laughs) From Travels with Charlie, John Steinbeck. I'm I'm not only convinced of that, but <laughs> I'm I'm convinced that my wife's cat thinks I'm a complete idiot. And why am I there? Uh, that look, right? It's just that look. Yeah, it's just the it's the 
get over it. It's an exasperated, like, why are you, why are we even doing Disgusting this? Disgusting scorn. It's like <laughs> it's a, a dis- disgust with scorn. It's scorn. At least with dogs, though, you can snap them out of it. Yeah. You know, like if you play, oh, you get all excited, they get all excited. Cats do not follow the same pattern. If you get all excited, a cat scorns you more. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, and I feel like... With disdain. With disdain. We're constantly trying to impress them. I said to my wife the other day, like... This is not our room. This is the cat's room, right. and we sleep in it, you know, from right. time to time. But it's really the cat's room. That's funny. But uh, you, now, I saw a picture of you. You had a couple of dogs in the pictures. Yeah. Were those your dogs? Yeah, so I snuck them in the NASA. They told me I could <laughs> – they said, you can bring your family to take the picture with you in your pumpkin suit, right? And so I gunned the van, and my neighbor was holding them in the back, <laughs> had the stereo turned up, flashed my badge, got in there – Run them up the back stairs to the photo lab and just dump down about 100 milk bones. And they were just happy, chomping away. I get the suit on. I come sit down. And they see me. And they run over. I said, start shooting. And you just hold the shutter down. And, and you know, those, that's where the picture was born. Oh, that, and so how many dogs do you have now? So they both, I put them down in 2013. And then now I have the one, you have uh, the one. puppy, Zorro. Yeah. Do you travel? Do you take them anywhere when you travel? I'm building out a camper van from a Sprinter yes! right now, and I'm, I'm so he will be on the road with me. Is that kind of do? You, do you want to just drive around the country, drop in, drop some education yeah. on people? So when go I go do a place? gig, you know, if I have enough time in between gigs, I can just drive there, and he can come in with me. I'm, and he's getting a, a month of training starting Monday, and so he'll be able to come into the gig. I'm doing my talk, stay. <laughs> okay, come up, interact. <laughs> Hopefully that's what I hope happens. Is there a way to uh, bottle your attitude and sell it? Because I think people could, <laughs> people like myself could probably use it. I think most people could use it. What is your, like, what's kind of your guiding principle? Like, what's, what do yeah. you, what, what, what's, what, what's your sort of default mantra? I mean, you know, the movie um, Life is Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I think about this man in a, concentration camp and his son not knowing that he's in a concentration camp. He's able to mask all the nastiness and stuff around to bring his kid and give him a wonderful life. And then I think about, you know, back in the days when our constitution wasn't, it was written for all humans, but wasn't written for people like me and the things that people had to do to survive, like Harriet Tubman, you Mm -hmm. know, taking slaves to the North and coming back and, and, and helping people rise. And so you can always look at, at something, a situation, you know, and glean something positive from it to help you rise. The negativity is going to cloud your brain. You have all these, you know, on One Strange Rock, my episode is about my brain rewiring itself to here again. 86 billion neurons in your head, trillions of connections. There's good stuff in there. You can filter out some of the bad. When you go to space, your brain filters out all of the orientation that your inner ear is telling you that you're upside down or your head's tilted this way because all that data is wrong. So your brain in a, in a fairly short period of time can filter out that bad information and let you use just your eyes for attitude control as you're moving around. Oh my gosh. So if it can do that, it can filter out this negativity and lower your noise level because we have all this noise in our life and you push into when I went deaf I had none of that noise. It was gone. I was in like pure, you know, I was writing notes to people and I had some ringing, but but hearing all this stuff was gone. 
And at some point, you know, when the my hearing started coming back, I actively filtered out all the the chatter. You know, so myself. you learned a lesson from going exactly. deaf. Exactly. That's that's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, chasing space and astronauts of grit, grace. And second chances. Second chances is what it's about, getting those second chances. Now, if what would you say to people who, because obviously it's a very volatile, feels like a very volatile time. Just No, it is. If you pay it. No, it is. It is. It is 100% a very volatile (laughs) time. Thank you. Thank you. It's a very volatile time. And so to take this, and, and, and high roads are tough to take. So to take to take this view of you know life is beautiful there's 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 beauty in the garbage. What about people who would who whose side you would be on mm-hmm. who agree, you know who on paper you agree with all the same things and they say Leland, how dare you? It's just too volatile out there. How come you're not out there, you know, shaking my, a fist or screaming? My or son just got shot in Sacramento for holding a cell phone up to his head. Right. This guy who just got shot, right? And where is the the good in that? Right. You know, and I and I think, you know, every person on this planet who has given their life for for something, whether it's good or bad, I mean, there is a lesson to be learned out of it, and to try to not repeat it. You know, so the Columbia accident, my friends perished, but now we know to look at reentry as a potential problem for failure. So at least that one thing won't happen. You know, body cams came out of a lot of this stuff. You know, there's there's more scrutiny. There's movements. There's things that will make it incrementally better, hopefully, sooner than later. But it's changed. I mean, you think about the evolution of us over all these years. We've evolved. I mean, we we went from having these lower-functioning brains to now building space stations. Right. Right? And so... And maybe that's st- when we're still. I still feel like we're in the infancy. Yeah, we of are. What we, we can are. accomplish, we are. So, um, but you know, I mean, I I grieved a long time for my dad. I grieved a long time for my 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 crewmates. But the thing that kept me going forward was what David's father said: was we must honor the legacy. We must honor the legacy of people that have died in Black Lives Matter or in Charlottesville, or you know, honor the legacy by moving forward and trying to bring the children, trying to infect these children with positive things that will make them not be those divisive people. And I think that's why I, I, I try to push so hard for kids to see the beauty of the wonder of our magnificent planet and try to be the change agents in the future. So you have hope. I do have hope. Change agent, that's a great term. I do have hope. Agent change, yeah. That's fantastic. Because the kids... You know, they grow up. I mean, they're not born with this hatred and this stuff. It's 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 given. It's 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 influenced into them, mm-hmm. right? And if you can catch them early enough to say that we're all the same, you know, we're all in this together, and let them see the bigger interconnectedness of our planet. These ecosystems, like the the rainforest and these rivers of, you know, water going to the Andes and raining and these diatoms that are we're breathing from and all the systems and these people that wear this headdress that don't look like you but love to have a good meal just like you do and love to play a sport and love to listen to music and you know show our commonality versus our our differences i like this idea too of of 
geographical diversity as a way to show kids that the world is bigger than just whatever their exactly. whatever their neighborhood is or whatever their family unit is and you know if if I ever have kids I I hope to show them right the world so that they learn like oh it's not all because I I don't know how you couldn't be profoundly affected by that and be more open minded and and ultimately you know, be better in relationships, be better in work, mm-hmm. be better because you see, like, oh, we're all, every, everything's different but connected. Right. You know? Grape Street Elementary, Bobby Satcher and I, after my last mission, we came to LA, spoke at Grape Street Elementary School, or Grape something elementary school. Some of these kids in the hood have never been to the beach. They live three miles from the beach. They've never seen the ocean live and touch the sand and. So that's a travesty in itself because experiential learning is the thing that gets you thinking about things around your your surroundings, you know. And it just there has to be equity in experiential learning. And how do we how do we make that happen? Because I'm sure that you know, particularly within the school systems, it's probably very difficult. Education funding gets cut, classrooms get bigger, teachers get overwhelmed. You know, they can't they can't keep everyone under control so they maybe just focus on the ones who are paying attention and so so what is, what's the solution we are our brothers and sisters keepers and it's up to the society to ensure that everyone has what they need there's a picture that i always show when i give a presentation it has three little boys different heights they all have the same size box and they're trying to watch the dodgers play <laughs> which is today is opening day right now. so the one kid can't see over the fence. So the, the title is Equality and Justice. Equality doesn't allow one kid to see. One kid doesn't need a box. Justice is when you have what you need. So to make sure that everyone gets what they need to be successful versus everyone, one size fits all, everyone gets the same thing. And the money, you know, the, the teachers, the guns now, I mean, it's all this stuff swirling, but... A community, it doesn't take the government to fix it. It takes a community to fix it. The people around in that community can fix it if they have the hope and the inspiration to just take one step forward and, and, and try to make a difference. I hope you're able to drive that sprinter to as many <laughs> communities as possible with your dog. And it's and the new, it's the new, the new Jack bread truck. <laughs> You you know what you should probably do is is actually just get a bread truck logo just as I a am, nod. And my dad will have a painted picture on the on the truck somewhere. What was your dad's name? Deems D E E M S Deems Melvin. Deems Melvin. My dad was Billy Billy Hardwick. It's um, hey to he, Deems and Billy to right? Deems and Billy. I mean, I there think you you must have. Well, cheers our little water glasses. <laughs> I mean, Deems must have been proud of you. He must have seen what I mean. I'm. It's. I, I'm glad that it was late in your life, later in your life, you know, re- right. more recently and not a long time ago. He did get to see all the things oh, that yeah. you... He was that, so proud. That, ...that you became. So proud. And I'm sure that you assured him that it would continue. Right. Well, I'm trying to honor his legacy now by right. continuing these things. Yeah. And so you, your mission now is to teach people how to honor the legacies that are important. Honor the legacies and to, to f- with this series, fall in love. When you love something, you take care of it usually, mm-hmm. right? 
but if you see this if you see this show and just the cuts and the beauty and the cinematography you may fall in love with the planet and you may want to take care of it you know and so hopefully Darren and Jane and Will and my other seven astro buds can convey the importance of this one strange rock because it's all we have we talk about going to Mars talk about living on the moon you know we don't have you know HV, HVAC systems that can handle you know multiple years on the planet yet we haven't figured that out so right now we, this is all we got and let's let's treat it like that's all we got I know this is a dumb question but just I, because I'm interested to hear your answer why is it important to go to space why was it important to go to Antarctica? Why was it important? We are in, ingrained in our DNA. We are explorers. No matter where you're from, people have always explored to see what's out there. And when you're born, when you wake up, when you get your butt slapped, you start crying, and you're probably looking up. And when you go outside, you're looking up at the stars. And, you know, So we, we always look up or down to the ocean. So we have to continue just to explore because the things that come from exploration are, you know, smartwatches or smartphones or, you know, hip replacements, you know, or whatever it is. That, that's what comes back down to society from people putting it on the edge and exploring. And then last sort of weird little question, but how... How do you perceive time and space? Did you perceive it differently? Well, we have multiple watches on. <laughs> but do you feel it though? Do you perceive it, or does it? If you know, because if you're, you know, if you're in space for let's say 157 days, do you feel like you're in space 157 days, or does it not? D- d- because of where you're positioned, right? Are you not feeling the passage of time in the same way? I mean, I was there for a total of 565 hours, so I didn't have a long-duration mission. And our timeline was so packed with things to do that I could see that, okay, over these eight hours, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. And I know that you know we're starting at 8 o'clock, and I know that we're ending at 6 o'clock, and we're having a meal at this time. So that that schedule let me see what was going on and i also knew what time it was down on the ground so i could kind of you know know the time mm-hmm. very very easily but i think the long duration people they also have those timelines but they get breaks mm-hmm. to chill and hang out and 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 they talk to their families every day you know every day or every other day so they know what's going on in the community back home you know, did you cut the grass did you you know blah, 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 you know so you do have a sense of of time based on your relationships back home or the timeline that you're, you're doing things on. I mean, I can't. So first of all, strange rock is on national geographic Monday nights, uh, 10 Eastern nine central. It's an incredible 10, 10 part series with Will Smith and Darren Aronofsky, Darren Aronofsky and uh, seven of my astro buds that are telling their stories and how the planet looked from 240 miles up as you go around it every 90 minutes. That's fin- and then your book as well. My book is called Chasing Space: An Astronaut Story of Grit, Grace, and Second Chances. It's kind of my memoir, my journey so far. And I have a young readers edition, which has steam experiments in the back for the kids to do. That's fantastic. And uh, my website, if you don't buy the book or you can't afford to buy the book, go to my website. It's got the same content on there: videos from space, from all these cool things that I've had a chance to do. So that's lelomelvin.com. So check it out. Well, is I mean, your openness is so refreshing and, and, and also helpful. 
I mean, I guarantee you, even just in this hour and nine minutes, <laughs> ten minutes, people, you will have changed the course of a percentage of people's lives just from your openness, from all the different things you experience. Thank you. But across every level, you know, you're so kind and and and. I can see your face. I can see the kindness in this man's eyes and the calmness. Yeah. And if you if you weren't calm, you would have every excuse to not be. I don't think anyone would blame you with everything that you've been through or experienced or had to overcome. And so you're very personally inspiring to me just as a as a grounded <laughs> no pun intended, but as a as a grounded um, spirit as a grounded entity, mm. and uh, and I, it has been an absolute honor to talk to you. I appreciate that. Thank you so thank much you. for everything that you do, and will continue to do. Well, thank and you. Uh, and I hope we get to talk to you again. And thanks for passing this message on to all your listeners, because it's all we're all in this together to share these stories, right? Yeah. And so. maybe that will inspire them to share their stories right. or inspire them to take risks so that they will have stories exactly. to pass on. Even if it's not for yourself, take risks for the stories exactly. so that you can pass that knowledge on to someone that's not you. And that's that's hopefully how we'll solve this human dilemma that we are all a part of right now. And I'll get a perspective this different. It's a bigger perspective. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, man. It is an absolute pleasure. Appreciate you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Enjoy your space burrito. Do they have burritos in space? No. That's <sighs> another reason why I might not go to space. ID 10 T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.